The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. Support your healthy CoQ10 levels and blood pressure with two chews a day. Visit RadioBeatsBeets.com and save 15% with promo code DEAL. With the McDonald's app, you can get your favorite thing delivered to your door. So if you were looking for a reason to skip washing those dishes you left in the sink, consider this a sign. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Right now, get $0 delivery fee with any purchase of $15 or more, only in the app. At participating McDonald's, minimum purchase excludes tax and service fees. Delivery prices may be higher than in restaurants. Other fees may apply, not valid with any other offer, discount, or coupon. Welcome to Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, a refreshing and captivating interview with top sports personalities and their connections to Chicago. They reveal some entertaining, memorable, and emotional stories, some you've never heard before. I'm George Hoffman, and please make sure you subscribe to Tell Me a Story I Don't Know on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcast. Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is presented by Dynamic Manufacturing. Since 1955, Dynamic Manufacturing has a relentless commitment to quality and customer service when it comes to your automotive needs. They've been named General Motors Supplier of the Year 22 times. And whether it's remanufacturing, machining, electrification, motorsports, and much more, there's nothing Dynamic Manufacturing can't do. Find them on the web at dynamicmanufacturinginc.com. And by Raul Jewelers, who offer the finest in rings, bracelets, earrings, necklaces, and much more since 1982. They specialize in custom design, so if you're looking for that right gift, especially during the holidays, head to Raul Jewelers on Barrington Road in Hoffman Estates. And they're on the web at rawljewelers.com. Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is also sponsored by the Polina Market, purveyors of the finest meats. Look for them at polinamarket.com and by Vienna Beef, makers of Chicago's hot dogs and a landmark institution since 1893. They're located at viennabeef.com. This week, we feature part two of our interview with the immensely popular TV analyst for the Chicago Bulls, Stacey King. I would say Derrick Rose really made my career because without him, um, I don't know if I would have been as excitable because you don't see, you only see that player, George, and you know, those, those are generational talents mm-hmm. that, you know, I can only imagine what Johnny Red Kerr felt like watching Michael Jordan. There isn't a story or catchphrase Stacy King won't utter. He's a must watch and listen, whether on TV, this podcast or his own. Give me the hot sauce. In part two, King remembers how he became a Chicago Bull, his interaction with Michael Jordan and his early life as a single guy. Funny story. So I come here on my workout and, you know, so they put me through drills and, and David Falk, my agent at the time, told me not to work out. He said, don't work out. You might get hurt. You know, lottery picks don't work out. If you want to, you know, answer questions and have sit down, you can do that, but do not work out. So if you know Doug Collins, you know Johnny Bach, you know, they are the most competitive people that you'll ever find. That's the reason why these teams were so good, because they were competitive. So I get there and they want me to work out. So I say, well, I can't work out. My agent says I can't work out. So then Johnny, Johnny, Johnny Bach says, uh, like, what are you? And he called me the P word. He goes, you're from Oklahoma and, and you're too soft to, to run the court. And, and he just made me feel like I was like soft and I'm competitive. So when you challenge me, I'm going to, I'm going to challenge you back. I'm going to get right back in your face. So 
Um, I, I did everything they wanted me to do. I was working out. I ran the court. They wanted to see, they wanted to see how fast I was because they saw that I was really fast at college. I got up and down the floor. Uh, they wanted to see me shoot. They wanted to see my athleticism. Um, so I ran through all these tests. And so then they had me doing basketball work. So like post moves and stuff. So I'm like, okay, cool. Nobody's, you know, I'm, that's easy. I'll just, you know, do some left-hand hooks, right-hand hooks, you know, whatever they want me to do. So then Doug says, okay, we're going to, we're going to give you some resistance. Now we're going to bring in somebody, put a little resistance on you. And, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't tell me who's coming in. So here comes this guy. We were at the uh, multiplex and here comes this guy. He's gangly. He's got grayish hair. He looks older. And I just assumed it was Dave Corzine. Cause I, I never seen Dave mm-hmm. Corzine up close and I'd never seen met him in person. I just saw him on TV. So I assumed it was Dave Corzine. Cause he was a big guy. He's like 6'10". So I said, okay, but he was a little skinnier than I, I seen Dave Corzine. So I said, well, maybe TV puts a little bit of extra weight on you. So um, it's Dave Corzine. So we're in there and he's battling with me. He's banging me. He's banging me. And I'm thinking to myself like, okay, this is supposed to be like really non-contact, but this guy is playing like we're in the finals. And so I told him to take it easy. Like, Hey, big fella, take it easy. Like, you know, I'm not trying to get hurt out here. And he's like, shut up and play. <laughs> And, and I, I looked at him like confused, like, like who, who in the hell do you think you're talking to? And I'm thinking, Dave Corzine, I'm finna, I'm finna really just go off on you. And so I'm, I'm starting to make a move, George. They said, you know, Tex Winter wanted me to make a move, you know, one dribble to the middle and then drop step baseline. So I did it. And this guy, you know, I thought was Dave Corzine was banging the crap out of me. So I, as I drop step baseline to go up to dunk the ball, he pushed me. He pushed me when I was in the air. And then I, I fell on the ground. I fell on my, on my hip and I got up and I said, you know, you know, what the F are you doing? Are you trying to hurt me? I go, man, are you, are you a fool? And he's like, shut up and play. And he called me the P word. And so I was like, what did you say? And he said, shut up and play, quit crying. And I said, okay, cool. Okay. That's how we're going to play. So I thought this was one of those things like, have you ever seen Robbie Benson's one-on-one? Yes. Remember that movie? I sure remember do. Remember when, when, when Robbie Benson's coach brought this bully out to bully him and, and try I to do. make him quit? That's, that was what that was exactly kind of how that scenario was. What the hell? Settle down over there. I suppose you didn't see that. Shut up, Steele. Play ball. Son of a bitch. You That's son of a bitch! That's enough. What you gentlemen have just witnessed is an exhibition of mental warfare, where one player psychs another player right out of Baldy. And so I said, cool, okay, that's how we're going to play. So, so uh, you know, Doug said, run that play again. Run that same play, you know, one, one dribble to the middle drop step. So I said, cool, I'm going to get Corzine. So I did the same move, and this time as I drop step, I came, I hit him with the elbow. Like I hit him right in the jaw with the elbow and he fell backwards. And then I dunked the ball and I took the ball and I said, now you play. And I called him the P word and I threw the ball at him. And then we, and then he charged me. He's like, and then they had to separate us. Like we literally was getting ready to come to blows. And so they broke it up. Jerry's like, stop, stop. So you go to shower, go take a shower. So Eric Helen, who was the assistant uh, to Al Vermeil, um, our string coaches, he grabs me. I think Eric at the time was probably 25 years old. So he was a young kid. And uh, so we're walking out and he says, hey, he goes, man, you're feisty, man. I, I like that. Well, we need that on our team because we're facing the Pistons and 
we need some tough guys, you know? And I said, hey, look, man, I said, I didn't come here to fight anybody, but I said, I didn't come here to run. And, you know, if you start something, you better be able to finish. And I said, I wasn't playing with Corzine. I, I would bust Corzine's ass. And so, so he starts laughing. And I remember Doug and all them laughing, too, because they had heard me say Corzine. And they were all laughing, but I didn't know what they were laughing about. I think they were, I thought they were just laughing at the, the, the thought of I'm getting ready to fight somebody. You know, here I am, I'm supposed to be on a visit and supposed to be an easy workout. I'm getting ready to get into a fight with their, their player, Dave Corzine. So Eric tells me, he says, hey, he goes, he goes, he goes, oh my God, no, that's not Dave Corzine. And I said, what do you mean that's not Dave Corzine? I know Dave Corzine. He's, he's the center. He's like, no, that's not Dave Corzine. He said, have you ever, you ever uh, heard of Phil Jackson? And I said, no. Uh, Jackson uh, took away the shot, so he had to pass it and block the shot, actually, and went after the loose ball. And that's good when you can block a shot and come over the ball. A lot of guys have blocked the shot, knock out of bounds. And uh, he said he played on the Knicks championship team, 71. He's an assistant coach. And, I, and when he said assistant coach, I was like, oh, my God. Like, all the life George went out of me. I said to myself, they're not going to draft me. <laughs> they're not going to draft me. So I go back, shower. I come back. We go into uh, in the office, the coach's office at the multiplex, which was very small. And Jerry and them were sitting there waiting for me. And uh, Jerry commenced to kind of dressing me down a little bit. He says to me, he says, um, you can't do that. You know, if we're playing the Pistons, which we know this is what they do. These are tactics they do. They want to take you out of the game mentally. And if you get ejected, you're not helping our team. So you can't do that. And I, and I told Jerry, point blank in his face, I said, Jerry, I, I mean, it's Mr. Krause, I, I, I want to apologize to you. I said, but if someone hits me, I'm hitting the back. If someone elbow, elbows me in the face, I'm elbowing the back in the face. So then you might not want to draft me then because that's the kind of player I'm going to be. And, and so Doug sits in the back and he's like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. If you are here at six, Stacey King, we are drafting you. That's what he told me. And I didn't think I was going to go anywhere at six. Matter of fact, I didn't even want to come to visit because I had heard, you know, Horace, Horace and Harvey are twins and Harvey Grant would tell me stories, you know, how hard Michael was and how difficult sometimes he is to play with. And, you know, so, and I used to idolize Michael Jordan. I used to have a poster in my, in my room. So whenever I go to a game, George, I'd rub that poster, you know, and, you know, funny, there's another funny story coming along with this one. Um, but um, I'd heard he's very difficult, hard, you know, hard on his teammates. Um, but I come from a military family. So my dad was a drill sergeant. So nothing that anyone does to me could be any worse than my, my father growing up in a military household. So I was prepared for any kind of, you know, mental warfare. It didn't bother me. So I was already mentally tough. So you couldn't do anything to phase me, but, um, I ended up getting drafted here and, um, I was, I was excited and I was disappointed at the same time because, I was like, I couldn't believe I didn't go one. You know, everybody, everybody who is in the NBA draft who's a lottery pick, their whole mindset is to be the number one pick. And when I didn't get to be the number one pick, I was disappointed. I was. But then uh, I started recognizing Chicago, looking at the records, because all the other teams were not very good. You had Sacramento, number one. The Clippers, number two, took Danny Ferry. Uh, number three was San Antonio. And they weren't San Antonio that we know later on. They were not winning either. So the top three teams weren't winning. Then you had four with Charlotte, was an expansion team a couple of years in the league. They weren't winning. Number five, I think, was Miami. They were on the cusp 
of getting to the playoffs with their young nucleus. You know, they ended up getting Glenn Rice there. And so their, their fortunes turned around in that draft as well. And then you had the Bulls at six. And the Bulls were the only team in the top six that had a winning record. They had 50 wins. And so I'm like, wow, I'm going to a winning team. I'm going to play with, you know, Michael Jordan, my idol. Instead of rubbing the poster, now I'll get a chance to touch him live. And so um, I was looking forward to that. Who doesn't love jewelry? Who wouldn't love Rawl Jewelers? Family owned and operated for nearly 40 years, Rawl Jewelers offers the very best in fine jewelry and engagement rings, including mined and lab-grown diamonds. And they utilize the latest technology and offer jewelry repair on the premises. Rawl Jewelers has a glittering array of rings, necklaces, earrings, bracelets, and watches, and offers custom-designed jewelry on the premises. And if you have the most specific questions, Rawl Jewelers has four graduate gemologists on staff. With over 200 years of combined experience and expertise, it's no wonder Rawl Jewelers is one of the leading shops of its kind. This is where my wife and I got our wedding bands many years ago, and it's safe to say, when you walk in as a customer, you're going to leave as a friend. Rawl Jewelers is located at 3001 Barrington Road in Hoffman Estates, right off I-90 West. Rawl Jewelers, when only the very best will do. You not only touch Michael Jordan, you play with Michael Jordan. I wonder what that was like. And did you ever beat Michael Jordan when it came to gambling? You know what? I mean, I, I, I shot dice. I wasn't much into cards as a young kid as I am now. Uh, Michael was Michael was always winning. And, uh, you know, he was the banker all the time. Like he literally was like an ATM machine. He would travel on a plane with duffel bags full of money. Oh, um, I'll tell you a story. We were, we were in L.A. <laughs> we were in L.A. and we we're getting ready to go to Phoenix. And Michael, Michael had a wad of money, like a wad. of. I mean, I'm talking like a fist full of money rolled up. And he left it in the locker room uh, in, uh, at the uh, forum. And so we get to Phoenix and Michael tells our trainer, you know, Chip Schaefer, that he, you know, he left some money, you know, he left a ball of money in the locker room. Now, all those people coming and going out of the locker room, if you remember the Lakers locker room, they were kind of small, just enough probably for about 20 people. And so, you know, with the, with the ball boys and everyone coming in and out of there, someone was bound to find that money. And, you know, I would have just assumed somebody find a, a, a ball of money, they're just going to keep it because it has nobody's name on it. And, you know, just, you know how people are, you know, um, you know, they, I thought they would just take it. So MJ was like, you know, uh, really like, you know, it was a lot of money. I was like $10,000, I think. And um, a ball boy found it and returned every single bill. Didn't take anything, returned every single bill. And then MJ gave him a pair of autograph uh, Jordan shoes. And I was like, well, that's, that's really cheap. I'm like, man, you should have gave that kid like, like two grand just for finding it. You know what I'm saying? But he gave him a pair of Jordans and, I'm, and they were autographed. So I'm, I'm sure they're probably worth more than the 10 grand if he didn't wear them. Probably, probably right. worth 10 grand, you know. And that was right before, that was like, you know, when we, we started winning. So they're probably worth more than the 10 grand that he returned. The easiest way to hear more great guests on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is to follow me on social media at George Hoffman. That's O-F-M-A-N, just one F, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And please subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. 
We return with Stacy King on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. You wound up having a pretty good career in, in the league, but here's another thing I'm not sure people know or even remember. You were named the head coach of the Rockford Lightning of the CBA in 2001. <laughs> and the following year, you led them to a championship series. 116-109. The Lightning fall short in a championship bid for the third time. Their first trip to the finals in 12 or 13 years fall short. Did you try to pursue a career in coaching? Yes, that, that's what I wanted to do. Because Tex Winter used to tell me all the time. I used to have really in-depth conversations with Tex about the triangle you know, just, you know, just trying to get it soaked as much knowledge. Tex Winter had had the most um, amazing mind when it came to offense and play calls. Um, I learned a lot from him. And so he always told me, he's like, you know, you'd be a great coach. And I and I, I would always tell Tex, I'm like, nope. I said, because I don't want to deal with all these knuckleheads. I might end up fighting some of these guys, you know, if they don't do what I ask them to do. So I didn't think I had the temperament to be a coach. And George, you know, when you're a player, that's the furthest thing from your mind. You know, that, you know, when you're, when you're, when you're like sitting there and, and, you know, coaches are, are talking to you, you know, you see, it's like children, you know, things are going in and going out. You don't know how much information you're retaining, but later on you realize how much information you actually retain. And, you know, it helped me in my coaching career. Um, you know, a friend of mine named Lily Brown, you know, Isaiah owned the CBA at the time. And he had requested for me to, you know, if I wanted to get into coaching. And at that time, I got done playing. I go, yeah, I want to get into coaching. And I started off as an assistant. And the coach that we had there before had no experience. So we, we were both two non-experienced coaches. But I played at least. He didn't even play. You know, he was a camera guy. So, uh, you know, he did all the film work for NBA teams. So he wasn't actually, you know, he didn't play or nor was he really a coach. So we start off like 0 and 15 or something. And I would try to input and try to help him. But, you know, he was a guy, he wanted to do it his way, you know. So I'm like, all right, cool, man. We're just going to keep sinking like the Titanic. You know, we'll probably go 0 and 30, you know. And then Isaiah made the call to fire the coach and then put me there. And then Lily Brown, who was the assistant general manager at the time, she also stressed that I'd be the coach because I knew what I was doing. And the players would rally around me and they, they really liked, you know, working with me. So that year we had lost 15 games in a row. And then when I came in to coach, we won like 12 of our next 13 and got back in the playoff race. And we snuck into the playoffs that year. And, uh, you know, we ended up losing to the champion, but we took them to the wire. And that's when I knew like, yeah, this is what I want to do. And, and then the next year we went to the finals, you know, and, and at that time, the CBA didn't have a best of five or best of seven. It was a one game final. So the best team doesn't always win in a one game final. So we ended up losing in Rockford um, to the, uh, to Dave Yeager, who uh, ended up was an NBA coach um, for many years with Sacramento. And um, where else was Dave at? He was somewhere else. Um, but me and Dave at that time, we were the two hot young coaching prospects in the CBA. And what happened for me is that I end up getting a job in Sioux Falls. Because when I was in Rockford, George, I could come home. I could sleep at home every night. It's just like driving to the city. It's about the same distance. So I could sleep at home, get my kids off to school, and then get to practice, uh, you know, do, do office work, and then be home before my kids got out of school, pick them up from school. Because I, 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 I'm a hands-on dad, and I love being a father. 
And so I didn't want to miss anything with my kids. And I, and I still coach their little league sports while I'm coaching Rockford. You know, when you're the head coach, you can kind of make your schedule. So I made my schedule to fit my schedule around my kids because I did not want to miss any of their, their, their events, you know, whether it be a school event or sport event. So it worked out really well. But then I got, I got you know, an offer I couldn't refuse to coach in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And, you know, it was a great opportunity at the time because they were um, arguably the best franchise in the CBA at the time. And I felt like the resources that I had there would be even better. And I would be able to win a championship there because of the resources. And uh, when I got there, you know, first couple of weeks, I found out I made a mistake. It wasn't a place for me. I was too far away from home. Um, I would drive home every weekend to see my kids, catch their football games, and then drive back to Sioux Falls, which is like, like a six to eight hour drive. And, um, you know, it just, I was just away from my kids and I missed them. And I quit in the middle of the year. Like, I was like, I can't do this. Plus, and the reason why I also quit was I had an owner that was meddling. He's kind of like Jerry Jones. You know, he would cut my players. The, 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 the very same team, George, that went to the finals, I brought all those players with me to Sioux Falls. The team that went to the finals. And we had the best record in the league that year. I brought them to Sioux Falls. And he was cutting them without you know, talking to me. So we come to a game, I have two or three of my best players not there. And I'd be like, where, you know, where's so-and-so? Oh, the owner cut him. And because the owner wanted to bring in guys off of his team that fans knew, like fan favorites, but the fan favorites couldn't play. And so you're cutting my, you know, you're cutting my team in half by, you know, giving me, you know, players that can't play in this league. And so that caused a lot of problems and I didn't like it. And I got to the point where I was like, you know what? I, I, I'm going home. I'd rather spend time with my kids, be unemployed for a little bit until I can figure out what I want to do, but I'll spend time with my kids. And that was probably the best four or five months that I ever had. And and when I came back, I enjoyed being a father for like four or five months. And then I got uh, Jerry Krause and Steve Shanwald. Um, They had, they had both had came to me and they said, Hey, Jerry asked, Jerry offered me the radio job that John Paxson had with Neil. Right, uh, right. If you remember that, mm-hmm. Jerry offered me that job before Pax got it because he thought I'd be good at it. And I told him I wasn't ready to do that job because I was actually still playing at the time and I wasn't ready to retire. So I said, no, nah, I'm not going to do it. So then the second time came around and, you know, it was another opportunity from the Bulls and Steve Shanwall. And Steve Shanwall came to me and said, Stacy, you know, we're going to do a pre and post game show. We're going to we're uh, going to start a new network, Comcast Sportsnet. We're going to do a pre, you know, pregame show. And I think you'd be great at it. And if you want the job, it's yours. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? I'm not doing anything right now. And, you know, this is what I went to school for. And I think I'd be pretty good at it. Um, it's going to give me some experience to, you know, uh, to maybe do something else later on, like play, you know, being an analyst. And uh, so I saw the big picture in all of it. So I took the job. I didn't get paid anything. I mean, I, I could have made more money. George and McDonald's at the time, you know, people think that, you know, oh, you're doing TV, you know, blah, blah, blah. You make all this money. But when you're doing like, you know, a pregame show on a new network, there's really not a lot of money. There wasn't a lot of sponsors. So therefore, you know, you weren't making a lot of money. And so, um, you know, I, I didn't care. I didn't care if it was free because my, my whole objective was to get as much experience on camera, even if I didn't get paid for it, because I, I knew it would pay off in the long run later on. So you got to crawl before you walk and then you got to, you got to grind. You got to grind. I'm a grinder. So I didn't mind. I didn't make any money. I just got the experience. 
Listen up, OEMs. First impressions are lasting ones. Dynamic Manufacturing's impressive complex in Hillside, Illinois, includes nearly a million square feet of operating space. I had a chance to view some of it, and I was overwhelmed by the organization, technology, and dedicated workforce. Dynamic Manufacturing provides solutions for engineering, manufacturing, machining, and logistics, and they can re-energize your electric and energy storage systems. They can machine any project, no matter the size. And when it comes to motorsports, they're your trusted partner for chasing podiums with their custom torque converters. Dynamic Manufacturing is your one-stop for all your remanufacturing needs, and they can't wait to engineer a custom solution for getting maximum value from experienced parts. Dynamic Manufacturing, where there's nothing they can't do. Before I continue with your broadcast career, you were talking about your sons. You have four grown sons. Are they sports-minded like you? Yeah, they're very sports-minded. My uh, my uh, oldest son was a All-State baseball and football player at Stevenson. Uh, got a baseball uh, scholarship to play at Missouri. Um, I have uh, I have uh, all my other boys played high school sports. Um, you know, they're all good size. You know, they're all my my older son, six three. Uh, my 28 year old, my second son, who are they're 14 months apart, which I think you call them Irish twins. Um, he's like six, seven. Uh, my third youngest son is about six, five. Uh, and then my youngest son's about six, six. So they're all pretty tall. Um, they're all athletic and they're good kids. They're all, you know, the thing about being a parent, you never stop being a parent, George. And I, and you know, it's, it's the best job in the world, you know, being a parent. And, you know, the one thing about me with my kids is I always tried to be there for everything because my dad, as much as I love my father, you know, he wasn't, he couldn't make it to all my games. He didn't make it to any of my games growing up because he had to work. And I understood that, but there was times that I look, you know, I look up in the stands and wish my dad was there, you know, and, but I wasn't the only kid, all the kids, parents never came. Like I remember, you know, piling into my coach's, uh, you know, Ford pickup truck and you have a bunch of kids in the flatbed back there, which now, is unheard of. You would never see kids riding in a flatbed with no seatbelts, you know, but back in those days, you know, all the kids, we either rode your bike to the park or you had a coach pick you up in a truck and take you to the, uh, the ballpark. Your parents never came to the games. I want to take you to now. And you have, of course, an enormous amount of catchphrases. I looked at Wikipedia. They listed a hundred, at least a hundred. Levine ices the game. Sriracha. Well, we got a lot of hot sauce here in Boston today. I'm going to put that on my uh, lobster roll when I get on the bus. Levine to Caruso. Found him in the corner. Bang, bang, bang. Big shot, Alex Caruso. Finds Ayo. Okay. Up, oh, side slam jammer. On the drive, tough fading. Ooh. Shot is good. Sometimes I dream he is me like Zach. If I could be like Zach. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, let's go! Stop it! Stop it! Don't not do it like that! What are you doing, Dragons? Did you not get the memo? Derek Rose can go upstairs! But there's one to me, and I wonder if it's the same to you, that really stands out. 
You absolutely loved watching and commenting on Derrick Rose when he made spectacular plays, which seemingly, seemingly was more often than not. And you used a very popular catchphrase. Too big, too strong, too fast, too good. Uh, too big, too strong, too fast, too good. And um, the thing about Derek, you know, Derek, me and Derek came in at the same time, basically. Like we both came in at the same time. So it's kind of like the Haley's comment. You know, you know, he comes in like this, this whirlish dervish, like supernova. And, you know, I'm coming in this, you know, this fresh face, this energized, you know, analyst that's got a little hip hop flair to him that, you know, relates to the younger generation because I got kids too. So, I mean, I'm into rap music, I'm into R&B, I'm into all that. And, you know, the lingos, you know, I keep my ear to the street. You know, when you have kids, you listen and, you know, um, but Derek really, I, I, when I say made my career, uh, yeah, I, I would say Derek Rose really made my career because without him, um, I don't know if I would have been as excitable because you don't see, you only see that player, George, and you know, those, those are generational talents mm -hmm. that, you know, I can only imagine what Johnny Red Kerr felt like watching Michael Jordan mm -hmm. and Scotty Pippen. I can only imagine what I would have done if I would have been Johnny Red Kerr. Cause I would have been like, Oh my God, I would have been going out and lost my mind because Michael Jordan, every single night was a highlight film. Every single play was a highlight. Every single thing was a highlight. It's funny that you mentioned that the player helped make the broadcaster. Yes. Yes. And I'm not ashamed to admit it. I don't, I don't, I'm not one of these people that ego gets in the way and go, I created myself. It's all me. No, Derek Rose is a big reason my career is the way it is now. And, you know, I didn't make Derek Rose's career. I just added a little spice to it. I didn't make <laughs> Jimmy Butler's career. I just added a little flavor to it. You know what I'm saying? Those guys did the work. Those guys earned the right to be all-stars and future hall of famers with their work ethic and the way they do things. Uh, and they go about their business. Um, I didn't make them, I didn't make them players. They were already players. But what I did was, it was just adding a little spice. No one, I mean no one does hot dogs better than Vienna beef. That's because they've been doing them since 1893. Imagine biting into a delicious all beef Vienna hot dog, dragged through the garden which includes yellow mustard, onions, relish, tomatoes, sport peppers, pickles, and celery salt, and just try that on one of their Polish sausages. Vienna products are available everywhere, from your supermarkets, restaurants, the ballparks, and zoos, just to mention a few, and you can purchase them online at ViennaBeef.com. And look for their farm acres chili, mini bagel dogs, condiments, and classic deli meats. Take it from a guy who was weaned on, then sold Vienna products. It's the mark of excellence since 1893. Find them at ViennaBeef.com. Ever been to the Polina Market? If not, what are you waiting for? It's been Chicago's premier market for the finest meats and much more since 1949. Their steaks are top of the line, but there's also chicken, fish, and those mouth-watering sausages. And you might spend hours just perusing their frozen food section, all made fresh. And now the expanded Polina Market offers beer, wine, and sandwiches. It's become a one-stop shop, making your in-store experience well worth your time. And you can still order online. I've been shopping here since 1984. Paulina Market is simply the best and conveniently located at 3501 North Lincoln Avenue in Chicago. Check them out on their impressive website at paulinamarket.com.
What do you think of Rose now and how he's reinvented himself? You know what? I'm so I'm I'm a big Derrick Rose fan. I love Derrick Rose. Derrick Derrick knows that. Me and Derrick have a special relationship, and um, I'm 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 really close to his family. You know, he, he's people people don't know Derrick like I know Derrick, and like people close to him know Derrick. You know, Derrick got a bad rap when he got hurt. You know, when Derrick Rose was the MVP and Derrick Rose was healthy, uh, Derrick Rose was a great story. You know, kid from Inglewood, dodged gangs and violence. Um, you know, the the rose growing out of the out of the stone, you know, out of the pavement. That's a true story. You know, his family making sacrifices, you know, keeping him out of trouble, keeping him alive, his mother making sure that he has what he needs to thrive. Um, you know, you know how the South Side is, you know how Inglewood is, you know, you see all the gang violence and all the things that go on there for that kid to be able to navigate through that and i i think honestly i think i think the 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 inner city part of where Derek grew up i think when ben you know when um when uh, benji wilson got killed um the way he got killed i i think they took a collective hold and said hey this will never happen again you know because you know we have to protect these these enormous talented kids that are, are doing it the right way, that are not in gangs, they're not, you know, doing, you know, selling drugs or anything like that. When they recognize that these kids have talent, I think the older OGs, as we call them, say, hey, these kids are untouchable. Don't, don't mess with them, don't bother them, you know, don't harass them. And I think they allow them to flourish. I think they allow them. Now there's some kids, George, I mean, who have that same kind of potential to get out and, and make it but they fall prey to that other lifestyle. They fall, they, they, you know, their parents need money. Uh, the circumstances are different. You know, they don't believe that, you know, I don't got time to, to try to make it to the NBA. I got to feed my family. So therefore they get into the other side of it. You know, Derek Rose was able to navigate through that. His family was able to keep him on the path to where he's at now. And he's going to be a future Hall of Famer. I was really surprised that honestly, that he's not on one of those top 75 teams that were just announced. I, I was really surprised about that um, because with the way he has reinvented himself, George, he's still an elite player in this league. He's proven- Even though he's coming off the bench, he's still an elite player. Oh, he's absolutely proven that. You have a very entertaining podcast aptly titled Give Me the Hot Sauce with a good That's friend better. of both of ours, Mark Shanowski. You really have a blast with it. The guy would yell, hey, Tex Winter. He says, hey, look, you can work on a strip so, so me and BJ would just start cracking up laughing. And then and then, and then, then he'd say, hey, rookies, what are y'all laughing at? And then Phil would turn around, hey, pay attention to me. Listen here. I'm like, wow. You know what? It started over COVID. You know, I was like, you know, I miss the fans. I miss you know, interacting with Bulls Nation. And I said, you know what, I'm going to start a podcast and I'm going to get all the people because, you know, it was, it was like a wheel. You know, it's spinning, it's spinning. I have all these ideas of how I want it to be, what I want to talk about. I'm a great storyteller, as you know. Um, so I, I was trying to get all these ideas. And then the hardest part is to try to find a collective group that you can work with, that, you know, you all can, you know, play off each other. And so I hired everybody who works with me is my friends. So me and Mark Shanowski, 
we go back all the way back to Bulls pregame. Uh, Mark's been a friend of mine for a long time. I thought he would be the perfect, you know, narrator. He'd be the perfect traffic cop to keep things flowing. Okay, because I, I work with him on on the on the Bulls post and pregame, and I, I'll you know when you had me, Will, and Kendall, I felt like Mark did a good job of navigating between all three of us to be able to keep things flowing. So, and on podcasts, as you know, you you kind of need that unless you're a solo guy, you know, unless you're you know you're out there solo like Michael Jackson, like you know, like you are, George, you know, you're a solo star, you know, um, you <laughs> yeah. can do that, you like, can do that. Sure, like you, I can sing only when I sing. Now there's in the shower, the water stops. Don't go. <laughs> That's an old line. Sorry and, about and, that. And, and the dogs and the cat want to go outside. They don't want to hear. I hear you. I, hear um, you. I asked this final question to all of my guests, if not for basketball, what would you have been? I'd probably been a lawyer. Hmm. Um, that's, that's something I always wanted to do. I've even, even pondered about going to law school and just for fun, just to get a law degree. To, uh, because when I was a boy, when I used to go visit my, my grandmother in Little Rock, Arkansas in the summertime, um, it was so hot outside. My grandmother would never let me and my brother go outside because it was so hot. It's like over hundred degrees every single day and it would be it would be up to 90 up until six o'clock at night but she would let me go she would let us go out later on like after six but you know early in the morning nope couldn't do anything all the other kids were playing outside so my grandmother used to sit in her little rocking chair and she used to rock and she used to make me sit right next to her and so she'd make me watch perry mason and i used to have to watch perry mason and soap operas as a little boy and I never wanted to watch it. I couldn't get up and leave because she would get me with the switch if I got up and left because she always felt me and my brother were always doing something, getting into trouble. So she made us, both of us, sit next to her in a rocking chair as we watched Perry Mason, Perry Mason. and soap operas, General Hospital, Ryan's Hope, As the World Turns, uh, The Edge of Night. Um, oh, my God, The Young and the Restless. I'm, I'm going to tell you, I, I mean – a lawyer would have been it, George, but also an actor, because as much as I watch soap operas, you know, I tell you what, that really helped me with the girls at the University of Oklahoma, because, you know, girls like tenderness. They like a, a guy who's vulnerable. They like a guy who's got like that soft side. It's not just this hard nosed athletic guy doesn't care about anything. So when I used to tell girls like, hey, you watch General Hospital? And they'd be like, oh, oh, my God, you watch General Hospital. And they go, no, you don't. No guy watches General Hospital. And I, I would recite people, characters' names. Well, you know, Luke and Laura, you know, I really like those guys. I mean, you know, Luke, I mean, you know, he, he was bad. He was mean to Laura at first. And then Scotty Baldwin, who she was married to, and I would give her all these scenarios of, like, these soap operas. And she's like, oh, my God. And I would name names. Like, she go, who, who's the star of, you know, who's the star of, uh, you know, one life to live, you know, and ask me all kinds of questions like that. And I would tell her and it blow them away. And that would get me through the front door, George. And that's all I <laughs> needed was an opportunity, <laughs> opportunity. And I took advantage of it and I still do some days. Oh man. I have been waiting to do this with you for quite some time and you are the goods. Thank you, Stacey King for telling me a story. I don't know. George, I really appreciate you having me on. Uh, you do a great job. I've known you for a long, long time, and it's great seeing you do what you do and you're in your element. And I feel honored to even be part of this, and I appreciate you having me on. 
My thanks to NBC Sports Chicago, Comcast Sports Chicago, WTVO Rockford, and Gimme Some Hot Sauce, the podcast, for those wonderful and hilarious highlights. And thanks as always to TJ Reeves for putting this podcast on the map, Will Hatzel for his deft editing and mixing, and Nicholas Tochi for our graphic designs. And to our generous sponsors, Dynamic Manufacturing, where there's nothing they can't do, and Raul Jewelers, top jewelers in the northwest suburbs on Barrington Road and Hoffman Estates. Come in as a customer, leave as a friend. Also, the Polina Market, purveyors of the finest meats and much more, and by the Vienna Beef Company, home of Chicago's hot dog and an institution since 1893. Tune in next week for another fascinating episode of Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. I'm George Hoffman, and that's all she wrote. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.